Let me tell you something, folks. It is a good day to be a Stormlight fan. Oh boy, hello, and uh, welcome back to another episode of the World Hopper's Guide to the Cosmere. I'm your host, Arian, and today, this week, so much is happening. I love it. Uh, today is Tuesday, June 7th. Um, for those of you who are not signed up for the Brandon Sanderson newsletter, I recommend you do so, because a ton of good stuff has happened. Basically, today is the day that the Way of Kings Kickstarter launched. Today, as of recording, it has already smashed through its goals, uh, $250,000 with the goal. It has reached, uh, $3,364,188 in the last three hours, and I can only imagine that number will go up by the time, uh, you listen to this. So, the Way of Kings, oh, I love it so much. Um, all of the stretch goals have been reached. We talked about this on the last episode. I'm not going to, uh, dwell on it too much. But I will eventually probably read Way of Kings Prime and have some thoughts on that. But uh, for the most part, you know, I picked up the $200 version. I recommend you pick up something because this book is great. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just going to move on from that. In, in case you didn't know, it's awesome. It's great. I'm super excited. Other than that, let's talk about the Sill interlude that we got in the email from the Brandon Sanderson newsletter. It's, I think, the first time we've ever seen a chapter from the point of view of a spren. And it definitely shows that they have a very different thought process than uh, than most of us expect. Uh, you can obviously read this um, once you get the newsletter. I'm not going to read out the chapter to you, but it's got some interesting stuff. Uh, it mainly follows Syl as she kind of worries about Kaladin a little bit. She sees Rock's daughter and then uh, goes out into the High Storm, tries to talk to the Stormfather, and then goes to Dalinar. And so, essentially, uh, the, the, the kind of important details are that, assuming this is an interlude, it takes place a, a decent amount of time after the prologue we got last time, so it seems like Kaladin has most likely saved his father, kind of gotten out, and it seems like he has uh, retired in a certain way, or he has become a surgeon and a surgeon alone. After uh, some time when he's kind of uh, getting darker and darker, Dalinar Colon puts him on the surgeon team, takes him out, and it seems like he's doing better, but Syl worries that that dark mind of his, the half of him that is struggling with depression, that's going to grow stronger and he's going to, you know, get worse. So, in, in an effort to try and understand him, Syl goes to the Stormfather and asks for a way to, to gain that sort of further empathy with the human more than she already has, because she just doesn't feel that same way. The Stormfather notably says that he has the power to do so, but not the ability. Now, from that, I assume it kind of relates to the notion that uh, the Stormfather is kind of the remnants of Honor's power, but it needs a human intelligence to, to run it. So she then goes to Dalinar and asks him to basically use his bondsmith powers to enhance the bond between her and Kaladin. From there, we learn that the bondsmiths are kind of the linchpin of everything. She says... You know, a bondsmith connected the heralds to Braes, made them immortal, and locked our enemies away. A bondsmith bound other surges and brought humans to Roshar, fleeing their dying world. A bondsmith created, or at least discovered, the Nahel Bond, the ability of Spren and humans to join together into something better. You connect things, Dalinar. Realms, ideas, people. So bondsmiths really are this central figure that seem to have 
given humans surge binding in the first place, discover the Nahal bond. They are the linchpin, and I think we're going to see a lot of Dalinar more in Book 5. Book 5 was originally supposed to be Dalinar's book, where we would get his flashbacks and we would get Zeth in uh, Book 3. That obviously changed around, but I think Dalinar's role in Book 5 will stay, you know, roughly similar. We'll get a lot of that, because the outline hasn't changed that much. We also learn a little bit more about the various types of Spren. Uh, the Stormfather, notably, is in some ways he considers himself lesser than other Sprens because he doesn't have the same uh, intelligence, sapience, the ability to make choices uh, separate from the Storm. Presumably that's because he is uh, more connected to honor, more connected to sort of the, the ideal, and less able to choose for himself. But it might also be that he is more the remnants of power than he is any kind of uh, proper sentient being. I don't know. Syl notes that she seems to be smarter than all of the other uh, Windspren and, and modern Spren. So it seems like Spren of her generation, which was thousands of years ago, were somehow more connected or, or, or more able to bond with humans than the current crop of Sprens that are bonding to budding radiance. I don't know if that's a uh, built into the magic system or simply because Spren have spent so long apart from humans, but I think that we'll find out more about that in the book. <laughs> and of course, there's the fact that uh, Shardplate theories seem to be confirmed. Shardplate is apparently made up of a bunch of small little things, which seems to be the lesser Spren, I would guess. But Sill seems to note that uh, as opposed to Shardblades, which are sort of a, a tragic death that she's upset about, the Shardplate seems almost content. So, don't know what that means. Maybe Shardplate is always meant to be solid in a way that uh, Shardblades are not. It explains why Renarin and other Radiance can, uh, can wear Shardplate without hearing the screams, but can't hold Shardblades. Oh man, um, there's probably a bunch of other stuff I, I missed or gapped over, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a really cool chapter. I'm excited to see more of Spren. And I'm super excited for Rhythm of War. Now, in a couple of weeks, they're going to be uh, doing the preview chapters for Rhythm of War. I am still uncertain on whether I will be reading them along with the, uh, you know, as they release from Tor.com. I probably will in order to moderate spoilers over on r slash Stormlight Archive. Go subscribe. But I don't know because I do like the notion of reading it all at once, so we'll have to see. But, transitioning to the second half of this episode, my goodness, let us talk about the Brotherwise Games Call to Adventure, the Stormlight Archive. Oh, it's so good. I'm so glad I bought it. Now listen, I am not a uh, board game guy, typically. If you want that, go check out the Innkeeper's Table. My friend Bill over at the Sandersonian Institute for Cosmere Studies, he's got a podcast and a website dedicated to reviewing board games. You're welcome, Bill. But anyway, I really, really like this game. Uh, essentially, at its core, the game is a character-building game. You are trying to build your particular Knight Radiant uh, by breaking the game up into three acts. It can be played solo, it can be played uh, co-op, or it can be played competitively with other people. Um, if you're playing solo or co-op, you can fight Odium at the very end and kind of roll off against him and see if you've done well enough over the course of the game, you can beat him. But the gameplay basically uh, breaks into three acts. You start the game with basically three cards. You start with your origin, your motivation, and your destiny. Your destiny is typically one of the Knights Radiant or something else. You mostly, you see that, and then you put it aside until Act 3, which doesn't happen for a while. 
but your origin is basically where you start. You could be a farmer, you could be an aristocrat, you could be a, a, a peasant or a warrior, that kind of basic, basic idea of who you start as in the world. Your motivation is a little more character and flavor. Maybe you have a thirst for knowledge, maybe you are trained by a master, maybe you are haunted by your past or you're seeking redemption, that kind of thing. And those give you certain special abilities. And from there, you then get into um, Act 1, 2, and 3. You start with Act 1. And these are kind of basic events that are happening to you. I have some of the cards here. So these events are, are basically split into either uh, traits or challenges. A trait is just something you pick up, right? You bond a spren. If you have certain prerequisites, you pick up that card, and it's yours now. And then you draw another one, and the next person on the table can face the next trait or challenge. You could be a veteran. You could be a squire. You could be all those things and, and add those to your character, and now that's part of who you are. The other thing you can uh, try and do is uh, face a challenge. So these are different choices you can make, uh, and you have to roll against the game. So in the card I'm holding right now, the card is called Weather the Storm. You can either try to survive a high storm, which requires you to roll your constitution, or face the Stormfather, which is your charisma. Now, you have these various kind of, you know, strength, dex, con, intelligence, wisdom, charisma, all those things, and, and your origins and motivations kind of give you bonuses to those. You roll some dice, you see if you beat the number on the card, and if you manage to do so, you can take that. So you face off, survive the high storm, you roll well enough, you add that to your character. And you kind of do this until you have three cards on your origin, and then you move on to Act 2, which has some slightly different uh, challenges and traits, such as you could be a bodyguard or deceive an ally. You could find a lost city and cover secrets, that kind of stuff. So after you kind of set up who you are at the origin, you, you've, you've got some cards in your Act 1, you move on to Act 2, you get a little bit more adventure under your belt, and then once you've got three cards under there, you move on, you uncover your destiny, you start looking at the Act 3 stuff, like fighting unmade and, and, and finding truth and all these sort of self-actualization Act 3 awesome things. Once you've collected uh, three cards from that, everybody kind of goes around, they add up various destiny points, there's all kinds of other mechanics in the game I'm skipping over, but basically it's, it's, it's a very... Uh, whoever has the most of these kind of destiny points wins. And by the end of it, you've got a unique character who's gone through a bunch of different struggles. So this is kind of rambly. I will actually read off um, the first real game I played. After I screwed up the rules on the first one, uh, I played a solo game of Call to Adventure, the Stormlight Archive, and this is the character I built, which is, it's super interesting. A scribe with a thirst for knowledge becomes a thief, deserting the army after feeling the ravages of war then lies their way into studying at the Palanium. There, they come across a world singer and join that order, and then they fall into the world of spycraft. As part of their new role, they're forced to kill an important target. In a way, it's an act of wrath, but they weep as they do so. Realizing finally that they've gone down the wrong path, they accept their destiny as a truth watcher. In order to become one, they need to find truth itself. And after saying the words and taking a last stand, they manage to find truth and become radiant. As their final challenge, they face Ray Shapir, the Midnight Mother, and say a fervent prayer. They take shelter as Odium tries to throw an Everstorm at them, and they swear the next ideal as they learn to wield Stormlight and defeat the Midnight Mother. Tell me this is not awesome. I mean, it's like when you talk about your own D&D character and someone else is, is not interested, but the point is this character came out remarkably kind of coherent after one game of it. In a subsequent game, it didn't go so well. I lost Odium. I don't want to talk about it. But the gist of it is, 
as you face certain challenges, you kind of use these cards you get called hero cards, or if you want to tap into the dark side, you can use these anti-hero cards. Meanwhile, Odium gets stronger the more corrupted you get and the more anti-hero stuff you do. Uh, Odium loses power the more kind of radiant things you do. It's great. It's super fun. I could go into detail on this again, but I really want to play this game some more. But uh, yeah, I, if you haven't already, I recommend you pick it up. Obviously, a lot of people are still waiting for it to be shipped. Um, but the art is gorgeous, the, the kind of lore book is gorgeous, uh, it's so great, and I really want to, uh, finish recording this episode and go play another game. So, with that, I am going to, uh, sign off. As always, thanks to Kevin McLeod for the intro music, thanks to Brandon Sanderson for these books, and to Brotherwise Games for this game, and thanks to you for listening. See you next time.